Ryan JT. Here we are. It's that time. It's the best time of the week. Do de do. <laughs> I, I wouldn't normally promise right now that I will never sing on this podcast again, but I mean, no one's gonna hold hold that accountable. So I just I just won't. I'll try not to. I'll try not to. It's gonna take all of my power to not make that our intro from now on. <laughs> well, with great power, dot, dot, dot. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Jeremy. How are you now? Are you excited for, uh, we, we, this is the first time in a while where we had a new topic that we had to dive into. How'd your list go? Uh, I had a lot of fun exploring how to even approach this list. So there's, there, there, there may be some discussion of, of list making at its core, but it was actually a ton of fun because it put me into that sort of nostalgic and general movie going place at the same time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. This one, I think it was hard for me specifically because the last one, the rules were so tight. And even though we broke the rules and by we, I mean, mostly me just ignoring what the word blockbuster means. But this one was just so much more like amorphous that it was a different kind of challenge. And instead of like doing any like good research, I basically just wound up thinking about what movies do you love that you shouldn't maybe watch again or have watched? And then I couldn't figure out which of those was the right path. And here we are. And here we are. Well, let me let me give a stab at defining what we thought we were doing. Perfect. Right. So the original concept we had is we had here was what are five movies again in our top five format? What are five movies that you've seen have some feelings for, but would recommend nobody ever actually watch? And I think we both sort of morphed on that concept a little bit to uh, a movies you've seen and have a really good memory for, but actually know they're probably not very good. So therefore should not rewatch them. And or B, movies that really just don't hold up on rewatching at all. Um, so I, I, and I have a few different sort of categorizations I ended up with. Uh, I had the, the seen it, enjoyed it, but I'm pretty sure they weren't a good movie. Okay. I have the, they just fall apart on any kind of rewatch. And then I have like pure nostalgia movies I know I liked, haven't watched in a long time, and I'm pretty confident I probably shouldn't watch again. Yeah, so I think I have all of those. I have all three of those. Okay. Because this, and it's funny because this is the first list we're doing that kind of came from another top five list because this started with, you mentioned when I said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, you were like, don't watch that again. Don't watch that again. I'm not gonna. So I sort of took that vein of like movies that I, I have good feelings about and like and think I like and think I know well enough to know that they're probably bad. But that's, that, that sounds like a, you've probably done your, your job here. So that leads us to an interesting question, which is the Shawshank test, right? So as we did in the original rewatchables, the most rewatchable film of all time, of course, is Shawshank. So is there anything that is Shawshankable this week, which is just like a very clear, everyone should just agree that you should not rewatch this movie. The answer is, ob- the, yes, of course. And the answer is obvious. How obvious? Well, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. I mean, it has to be that. Has to be. I'm very comfortable with that as a Shawshank. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, technically, it would probably go all the way into the category of movies no one should have ever seen, made, or contemplated. But I don't want to go and, like, stomp all over those childhood memories of yours. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. How mad are you going to be if I tell you that I still think I would like the third one? (laughs) Is there a third one? No, there's yeah. a whole reboot. There's a reboot, no. not a third. No, there's a third one where they went to Japan and were samurais. Oh, no, I'd watch that. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, I think this is a hard category to do an official Shawshank, but but I'm going to go – I'm comfortable with that, with our pick for, the, for this one. I, I'm very comfortable with that as well. So, with that said, Jeremy, I think you have the honors of the top five movies not to rewatch, number one. All right. Now, uh, I 
I'm also introducing a new bit. We uh, or or adding this to our element here is we're we've enjoyed our little guessing games over some of our previous casts. We've been a little inconsistent about it, so now we're going to try to be consistent about it. So in each case, we're going to give our one JT. We'll give the other JT a, a few clues, and we'll see how everybody does. And we're just going to have a little bit of fun with it. Uh, we might formalize this a little more as we go, but you know, work in progress. I'm going to start with. I'm going to start right in the middle of my list. All right. Movie came out on February 28th, 1992. Okay. In the category of uh, non-primary cast, we have supporting cast includes Stephen Tobolowski. You would know him as uh, Ned, Ned Needlenose Rileson. Oh, oh. Rileson? Rileson? Sorry, Jeff. Uh, Ned from Groundhog Day is Stephen okay. Tobolowski. That guy. Uh, he plays a lot of bit parts. He's awesome. Okay. Uh, Michael McCain, who was in Better Call Saul and goes all the way back to Laverne and Shirley days. Okay. And Sam Neill from Jurassic Park. Oh, I love Although Sam Although this Neal. predates Jurassic Park. Right. 90, so you said February 92, Sam Neill. Oh, boy. I got, I got two more clues to get you there. Okay. The first is the director, and there'll be a bit more about this in a second because I don't think this will give it to you. It was directed by John Carpenter. Like the thing, John Carpenter, that guy. Right. Okay. And the last sort of clue to the title is one of the characters has a nickname of Harvey. And it's an apropos nickname. This, this might tax your movie knowledge depending on how far back you go. But that is a relevant clue, sir. Harvey. Okay. I'm trying, like, so my only touchstone in this is kind of Sam Neill, to be honest. Okay. Because everything else that you said doesn't really ring anything for me. Sam Neill, 1992. John Carpenter kind of helps Harvey. Well, what, what do you think of her Harvey? Let's just stick with that one for a second. See, I'm stuck on Harvey Milk is the first thing that went to my head. And no, there's a classic... Classic, classic movie, Jimmy Stewart, Harvey. Do you know what that's about? No. Mm, then you're not going to get it. I'm not going to get this. So Harvey is a refer- in, in the movie Harvey, uh, Jimmy Stewart has an invisible friend named Harvey. Okay. This is Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Oh, I have never even heard of this movie. <laughs> As well, you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> but I have. I've seen it. I'm going to go somewhere between... Four and eight times, just because it came out while I was in college. And so you watch the movies you saw over and over again in college. Sure. Uh, it starred Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah as the as the primary protagonists. Huh. And it's basically one of these like twisty sci-fi thrillers. Chevy Chase accidentally becomes invisible. It's it's the classic invisible man story. Uh hijinks ensue. Sam Neill is the bad guy. Um, I, I believe he's an FBI guy, but he could be some other form of governmental bad guy trying to hunt down Chevy Chase and, of course, weaponize him because that's all that the government is capable of doing in, in action thrillers. I remember enjoying it quite a bit, but with a Metacritic score of 48, it's got to be bad. And so I'm going to put up Memoirs of an Invisible Man as a movie that I have a fond memory of. I will not see it again just for that purpose. I mean, now I probably have to see it again to see if I was right. But, right, uh, it can't be good. Just can't be. I've yeah, I've never even heard of this. All right, like I, the only place my head went is like with that sort of plot would be it's like Ghost Dad, but a thriller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my vague memory of the plot goes something like this: Chevy Chase is some middling, you know, mid-level manager type of job somewhere, maybe sales, something. I think sales. He's in this weird building trying to do something in that building. He doesn't belong there. That building happens to be some kind of lab. An explosion happens and um, he becomes invisible. Wait, I, I recall him actually taking a nap like in the break room or something and then he wakes up invisible. And yeah, again, at this point, hijinks ensue. Sam Neill's trying to hunt him down and you know, turn him into to an agent or whatever. Uh, and, you know, I won't give away the ending. <laughs> we don't want that. No, you would never want that. Okay. But, you know, again, 20 something year old me really thought this was a lot of fun. Got it. Okay. Respect. Respect that All I've right. never heard of it. What you got? Okay. 
Uh, this movie came out on May 20th, 1988. Okay. The, so I only, I tried, I tried to pick one bit person that I thought was like the right one for the job. Fair enough. This one is Joanne Whaley. Is this Willow? It is Willow. Pretty, that's really impressive. I'm impressed with you right now. Thank you. Joanne Whaley Kilmer, as we, as she then became known. Well, that's right. So we'll, uh, you would have gotten it on the next one because I think Ron Howard probably would have given this away. <laughs> if not Ron Howard, the fact that because the box office receipts were so low on this, the very famous writer just turned it into a storybook sort of thing. That's very famous writer being George Lucas. The uh, Yeah, this, this was, by the way, I have recently rewatched this and uh, with the kids and I actually still enjoy it. Maybe there's too much nostalgia for me to not enjoy it, but I can pick it apart pretty well too. Well, so here's the thing. So this movie, so Val Kilmer, Warwick Davis, obviously, like this is a very fun movie. Also, Kevin Pollack, it doesn't get enough credit for like having a horrible role in this, but being hilarious in that role. He's, and Rick Overton, the other the other one. They're great. That's right. Yeah, they're perfect. French Canadian brownies. Who doesn't love that? The brownies. Uh, so the thing with this movie is I watched this movie so much when I was a little, little kid that I actually tore through two different VHS tapes. Whoa. I just really, really dug it. My sister absolutely adores this movie too. I just know enough now to know that if I watched it again, even though the nostalgia would be very strong, like between the special effects, between the kind of weird storyline, like I just don't think it would hold up in any of those ways other than knowing that I like parts of it because it would remind me that I liked it when I was a kid. I, th- I think on the Jeremy scale, being able to pick this movie apart would probably be really, really easy. Yeah, but it's still f- it is fun, by the way. I, I actually think it hold- it probably won't hold up for you because you have too strong a memory for it. Whereas for me, it was just sort of a, a fun fantasy movie back when there were no fantasy movies other than Krull. Right. Yeah. And I think in that way, like, I remember thinking this movie was really mad- magical and like, I know it isn't magical, especially now. So I think this movie more than anything, and this isn't true for all of them, but there's a thread to some extent, like this movie just suffers from time. Like if they remade Willow, the plot's not so bad that they couldn't make this really good today because of all the different effects that they could use. However, that being said, it's not brilliant. Like it's a fun fantasy sort of story. And I loved it so much. And because I loved it so much is why I won't go back and watch it again. Well, that's the reason. Uh, Yeah, you probably might also notice that, you know, when the group of normally stay in their home little people come upon a great power that can destroy the evil emperor if they just bring it back to where it belongs, discover a, a, a really strong swordsman along the way, as well as a magician. You know, there's some similarities to another story of a similar nature. Just a couple. I was waiting for that because the thing with this, obviously, is that this was done better and later in all facets of everything, like in writing and acting in the fact that it became a movie. I mean, it's just Lord of the Rings is a version of this that's way, way better. I can't believe you phrased it that way. Don't ever say that. Because Lord of the Rings is not a version of this. This is a crappy version of Lord of the Rings, sir. Apologies, you are Thank correct. Thank you, and and to all all nerds like me everywhere, you know, a pox upon you. Yes, a pox upon me. Uh, <laughs> I will say that Mad Mardigan and Val Kilmer are are still one of my favorite things. I mean, he he. You are great. <laughs> every Lego character, every Playmobil character I had, like there was always a Mad Mardigan version of that because he was so good. And one of the weirdest things I learned about this uh, was John Cusack was actually up for that role. How weird would that have been? Whoa. And he's on record as saying it was his greatest disappointment that he didn't get to play this role because he loved it so much. Uh, And the one thing I will say is that uh, you mentioned it earlier. So Val Kilmer and Joanne Whaley wound up getting married on this film, which is very interesting. Subsequently divorced. Also, Warwick Davis met both his future father-in-law and his wife on this film, Peter Burroughs and Samantha Davis. I did not know that. So two love stories from the two main characters. There's a, a neat bit of music thing, since we know that's one of my things. So the Willow score is actually phenomenal. The biggest problem with it, and again, if you rewatch, you'll notice this, it never stops playing. There's almost not a single moment of silence in this entire movie. Yeah. Isn't this James Horner? Did he do the whole thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so this is one of those things in James Horner's score world where they just used his score for everything for years and years right. and years. And it does run basically through the whole film. <laughs> but it is in my list of scores I really love. It's great. It's a great score. From here, I can spring off in two different directions. Uh, I'm going to pick a movie that is actually a good movie um, that I have a weird thing for. Okay. Love it. Okay. So um, November 6th, 1981. Okay. Because I'm so convinced you probably won't know this forever. I mean, you're going to know the movie, but I don't know if you've seen it. I have no idea. But I'm going to actually drop the leads as my clue. Okay. This stars, and they've never been together in any other anything, Sir Sean Connery and Sir John Cleese. One of them's not a sir. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, It's in the Criterion Collection. That's how I know it's a good movie. It's number 37, by the way. And I don't know if we've ever talked about the whole number 37 thing, but we'll just flag that for later because we're running out of time. And then a significant portion of the cast was also in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I got no shot on this one. With a Metacritic score of 79, the movie is Time Bandits. Okay. Heard of it? I've seen this. Okay. I have seen it, not more than once. I've seen yep. it exactly one time, but I do remember actually seeing this movie. All right. So the problem here, and and actually this maybe the, maybe this is a whole different category of movies I really actually should rewatch. I was eight, and this movie was done by Terry Gilliam of Monty Python fame, and by the way, stars almost everybody from the Python universe. It was really creepy to an eight-year-old me. There was lots of scary stuff. The 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 animations were, were well done, but again, scary. To Again, just eight-year-old me in the movie theater with my parents, I think, thinking they're just taking me to some funny little fantasy time travel kind of movie. And it, and it kind of is, but it's Gilliam. So it's also like, remember, this is the same guy. These are the same people who did Brazil. Like this is a like heavy, heavy movie wrapped up in this time traveling fantasy kind of thing with some really fun sequences. But again... Don't take your eight-year-old to the movie theater to watch uh, Time Bandits. Mm. Um, the uh, executive producer, by the way, George Harrison. Oh, I love George Harrison, my favorite Beatle. Right. Movie also starred, ready for this, Shelley Duvall, Ian Holm uh, of Lord of the Rings, uh, David Warner, who was the bad guy from Tron, is the bad guy in this, and uh, and even a young Kenny Baker, our, our little R2. Wow. Yeah, but ever, apparently every one of the uh, of the little people used in this movie, everyone was also cast in Ro- Return of the Jedi. I just thought that was a cool piece of trivia. That's very interesting. You know, and I would bet a good majority of them were probably in Willow because Willow had between 225 <laughs> and 240 little people cast and it was the most of all time at the, at the time. <laughs> wow. Um, I just love the fact that John Cleese and Sean Connery headlined the movie together. How crazy is hearing that? That is truly absurd. Like that was a true, like sit back in my seat. Like, did he say what I think he said moment? Yeah, that's crazy. I wish I remembered this more, but I don't. Yeah, I'm going to give it a rewatch. I think now, I think I've now talked myself into wanting to rewatch it. Uh, I'll let my kids not have to watch the first take just in case it is as terrifying as I remember. Right. It probably isn't. It probably isn't. Probably not. But you know, eight year old, you had the right to be scared. Thank you. What's your number two? Okay, so I'm going to do one that is based exclusively on the cast because you just did your cast role, and this one is not even remotely in the same vein. This is another nostalgic deal, though. So July 15th, 1994. Okay. The big sort of, like, person that I would say kind of, like, not anchored this movie, but the good supporting cast is a, is a Tony Danza. This is going to be one of those family babysitter sure. kind of. This is the kind of movie that if they made it today would have like The Rock or or, or Vin Diesel or something like that in it, right? One of those, yeah, very possible. Fire or something. <laughs> so the director was William Deere. Okay. And my favorite bit of trivia for this is there in this cast were two Academy Award winners for Best Actor. They didn't get it like from this or did not have it during this, but they have subsequently become that. Wow. Any guesses? 
No, I'm stumped with Tony Danza because I'm I'm pretty convinced already I have not seen this movie because for the life of me, I I can't think of Danza in a movie because I don't think Who's the Boss got a a (laughs) very special episode or anything. Uh, No, you got me with it. I think I've got the genre right, but I'm, I'm not sure of the movie. Yeah, you nailed the genre. So this is Angels in the Outfield. Oh, I have seen this. Uh, Danny Glover, right? Yeah, there's no way you didn't see this movie. So just for a hot, just for a beat, listen to this cast. Imagine trying to get this cast together today. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Tony Danza, give or take. Christopher Lloyd, Adrian Brody, Matthew McConaughey, Neil McDonough, and Dermot Mulroney. Matthew McConaughey's in that? He sure is. Him and Adrian Brody, both of which have the best actor Oscar. <laughs> does, he, does he go shirtless in it? No, I think he was too young to go shirtless in this one. <laughs> oh, yeah, he must have been a kid at the time. Yeah, him and Adrian Brody were both like younger kids. Wow. This movie, I have so many, like so much feels for this. This movie is all the feels for me. I watched this so many times when I was a kid. It's a feel-good movie. It's a family movie. There's nothing special about any of the writing or whatever. Why it's on the list, though. I remember watching this. I caught a glimpse of it. I must have been a teenager, early teenager, like 13, 14. Uh, so not quite old enough to like have a real opinion on anything, but old enough to know a little bit better than when I had originally watched this movie. And it it struck me as so bad. So many little things, even at 13, 14, stuck out to me where I was like watching the baseball scenes, especially because at that point I had been playing baseball most of my life. And just remember watching Tony Danza throw one pitch and went, what is that? Like it's just the least athletic looking throw of a baseball I've ever seen. Roger Ebert, I thought, put this really hilariously. He was talking about this versus Little Big League. And he said, while Little Big League is a smart movie about a kid who really understands baseball, Angels is a dumb movie about so soppy sentimentality. The choice is clear. Wow. It, well, Ebert came for blood always. However, I can tell you very specifically as a nine-year-old, I loved this movie. I watched it a ton. I have really, really fun memories of watching it multiple times with my mom. It's a feel-good thing. I could probably watch it with my kids later on and remove myself from the, this is a bad movie, and just enjoy it. But even that little glimpse at 13, 14 of catching some of this, my brain already started to go, we shouldn't watch this again. And I haven't since. Interesting. I I have it actually on the list of movies to watch with the kids right now, but um, maybe not. I I don't know. I mean, if it didn't mean as much, I like part of this one for sure is because I liked it so much. Like I could probably watch rookie of the year or little giants, little big league, that whole string of sports movies that came out. I still love mighty ducks. They're terrible movies, but like I enjoy them. what They are. This one really did have a place in my head where because of there's a big family element in this plot that like just really stuck with me. And so for that reason, I've just kind of been like, I think I'm good. All right. I gotta warn you though, for the rest of my list, JT, you're I, I'm I'm willing to bet at this point you will not have seen the next few movies and probably not have heard of them. Oh great! I was mine's the opposite. You have seen and heard of all three of the rest of mine. Yeah, I I, I was trying to be inclusive. I just wanted you to know that it was it was my goal. But you know, as I really went down to the core of what what was important to me, uh, you know, I sort of dropped you from my consideration. Just you know, nothing personal. I appreciate, I appreciate the transparency. All right, so let's go. What's your next one? All right. The next one is probably actually the worst movie on my list, uh, and it comes with a little bit of a story. Uh, it's a sequel, and it came out on February 18th, 1983. Okay. Uh, it starred... I could give you all the stuff about it. It doesn't really matter. Uh, it's a sequel, as I said. Uh, in this one... Oliver Reed from Gladiator, Oliver Reed, yep. Yep. Plays, plays our bad guy. Uh, he is taken over a role from, from another actor in the first. What's interesting is he was supposed to be in the first movie and declined it and then picked up the sequel instead. Okay. It doesn't even have a Metacritic score. <laughs> <laughs> it's averaging 4.9 on IMDb. And my guess is that's probably generous from people like me with fond memories of it. I'm going to stop with the guessing game because there's no way you're guessing it. But the rest of the cast... So the original... How about this? Let's see if you can get the original. The original had Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Oh, my gosh. In one of the archetypical defining movies... Of, de- defines a genre. Like this movie... The original of this absolutely defines a genre. 
huh. which would which would be your your con game kind of movie. Con this is the Sting game. Part Two. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's uh, Jackie Gleason, the the always something Terry Gar, Carl Malden, and uh, and a guy named Mac Davis, who actually moved his career mostly into into music production. Turns out for soundtracks. So the Sting Part Two came out again. I was ten. I went to see it in the theaters. It's a it it's a fun con twists movie where there's the big the big heist and all these kind of the, kind of things, and it's meant to be a sequel. And Gondorf and others came out of prison years later, etc. I did actually rewatch it once. So I, I must have, again, one of those movies I probably saw five, ten times as a kid. Watched it once somewhere in the nineties. I was like, oh my. What was that? Had no idea how bad it was. And somewhere between seeing the, the second one as a kid and into the 90s, the original The Sting is a very special movie for me. It's in my top... If I had to do the like my ultimate top 10 Desert Island movies kind of thing, The Sting is one of them hands down. It's like got a oh, permanent wow. spot. Okay. But I didn't realize as a 10-year-old the difference between this fun movie with silly one-liners and terrible plot twists and the sting and uh, you know an academy award-winning movie seven academy award noms etc with an amazing cast so don't see the sting part two but <laughs> definitely see the sting part one had you not seen it i also learned along the way that they were going to make a third movie but because this one performs so dismally they did not but the third movie was going to be a prequel to the original sting movie Okay. So I have seen the original Sting once, and it's because my mom loved that movie. And I probably actually had seen, I had been around it more than once, but I remember like being not forced to sit through it, but like sit through it, but like sub 10 years old. Like I was maybe like six or seven, and it's like black and white. Well, no, that's not black and white. No, it's not. Yeah, I remember watch that. Watch it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll watch it again. I'll for sure watch it again. This one I've you're never gonna, even watched. Yeah, no, you're going you're gonna to like it far more. When you see The Sting again, you're, I think it's one of those movies that maybe as a teenager, but definitely as an adult, I don't even know how you'd watch it and not, especially someone like you, you're going to like it. The, the, the pacing's amazing. The cast is amazing. And it's just a fun story. That's great. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely watch it. But this one I've definitely never heard of, although I love this uh, second Oliver Reed shout out on Wingman. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's funny because I hadn't thought of this movie till you brought up Oliver Reed and Gladiator a few weeks back. And then all of a sudden this got stuck in the back of my head. And I actually think that's what originated this concept in my head. Oh, that's funny. Look at that. That's perfect. Where do we go from here, sir? So I'm going to go with one that is, I think this one's a little obvious for my age range. And this one is one that I think sort of will, it really suffers from time, but that's okay. So September 15th, 1995, it is the the person I chose to be sort of the standalone supporting cast is uh, Fisher Stevens. I'm not sure who that is. Can I get another cast member? Uh, Penn Jillette. In a movie. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Go on. Okay. So Ian Softly is the director. And the fun... Fun fact about this is this was the first of many marriages where the co- the leading actor, actress, married her co-star. And they were married for four years before getting divorced. And it was a string of this in her life. Can, can I get the year again, please? 95. Can you use it in a sentence? In 1995, a movie came out where, <laughs> where co-stars were married. No, I don't have it. Hackers. Oh, wow. People forget Angelina Jolie and Johnny Lee Miller actually were married for four years after this film. Wow. This movie, mm-hmm. I want to be clear, this is purely a time problem. I actually mostly like this movie and probably could watch it again and be pretty okay with it. Maybe, maybe. I haven't watched it for the reason which is obvious, which is, it is so the whole premise is around the interwebs and it is so aggressively outdated that there is just simply nothing about it that would make sense. Like if your kids, if, if poor Sam had to watch this, even the machines they use and the way they talk about what the internet is, he would look at you like you were crazy. 
You know, I think this for you is my um, is possibly my uh, jumping jack flash. Yeah, which by the way, I love that movie as a kid. That would have been a great one. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's it's in my uh, it's in my contenders list. But I think it's the same thing where the tech of it is so glaring. Yeah. Yeah. It's just too important to the story. Like the, the story itself for hackers, like, listen, they did a lot of really cool stuff. Like a very young Wendell Pierce, Jesse Bradford's in this movie. Mark Anthony's in this movie. I love Johnny Lee Miller and have since this and train spotting, he has been untouchable for me. Then he did Sherlock. I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. So like, and I actually really like the way he took that particular character. Uh, they used real hacker names back in the day. They used to, right. they spent a bunch of time with the NYC 2600, which was like this really like obscure New York city hacky, like New York city hacker club. Um, they did a lot of cool stuff. It also was filmed as Stuyvesant High School, which I had a bunch of friends that went there. So this was cool, right? Like David Stewart from the Eurythmics made a random cameo, which back like at, at this time when I was 10, I was like, oh, that's David Stewart and felt really important for knowing that. It's just you can't you, you can't have a story based on the Internet now like this and have it be watchable. You just can't. Which do you think would fall first? If you were watching it from like a believability hackers or the net? So funny enough, I have the net on my random list of like this. That would be I think that one would be more impossible to watch. Fair enough. Because this one, at least they sound like they know what's going on. But like it's, it's the same way like you've got mail wouldn't land the same for the same reason. Right. Like it just wouldn't be like it's like, what do you mean? Internet mail. It just would be weird. <laughs> this would be probably I don't know. I'm interested to watch it again. Again, I put it on the list of things I won't rewatch. I'll probably rewatch it because now that I got thinking about it, I'm like, I wonder how much I can forgive of the tech to see if the movie itself is good. Because at the time, for me, so much of it felt about the tech that I don't know if maybe the movie's also trash and I just didn't notice. Well, I, you know, if you decide you're going to rewatch it, I'll give it a rewatch. I haven't seen it since it came out. And, and this is, again, in that sort of ageist of things. For me, this is just a like. This was one of those movies that came out at a time where there were lots of good movies coming out. I love the idea of like this techie. Here's here's you know here's what's actually going on. I identified very closely to the to the type of characters that were in the movie at the time, but it was at the wrong age for it to become like a real like I don't know, cult classic in my in my world. Whereas for you, I could have seen the same way. I rewatched Memoirs of an Invisible Man one too many times. Right. Yeah, this was big. The one thing that made me laugh the most, just doing the little bit of research that I did, because I didn't have to do much because I know a lot about this movie because I watched it a ton when I was a kid, is seeing the the fashion choices look more like Demolition Man than they should because it wasn't supposed to be a sci-fi movie. But for some reason, like just they really went out on a limb to like get that underground New York feel. And that's not how most of those kids dress. But it was, yeah, I'm sure it's probably not very good, but I might actually rewatch it because I'm now I'm curious. Do they learn how to use the three shells? <laughs> no. No. All right. I'm ready for another one that you have. I, this one, I could almost give you the entire title without you knowing it. Like, that's how far I'm. I'm so confident. So okay. confident. I'm ready. October 11th, 1985. Okay. I was born. Yeah. Again, I could probably name the whole cast. Joel Gray. Do you know who Joel Gray is? No. Nope. Cabaret. Uh Great, great actor. Father of Jennifer Grey from Dirty Dancing and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I know Jennifer Grey. Uh, it was directed by Guy Hamilton, who's not a name that's that's going to come to mind, but actually directed the first four James Bond movies. Oh, as wow. this was the attempt to make a, quote, blue-collar James Bond. Okay. The second half of the title, let's see if we can get anything here. The, second, it, 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 the title ends with, The Adventure Begins. The first two words are Remo Williams. The adventure begins. Never heard of it. A solid 46 on the Metacritic. And the movie is about... God, I kind of feel like we should have a thing where I describe movies that, that were big in... Not big in the 80s, but like 80s movies that didn't make it at all out of the 80s, but some of us still remember. Like anyone of my age and up is going to be like, oh, I think... I, yeah, I saw that. Okay. And anyone younger is going to be like, that's not even a movie that ever happened, I promise. Right? If you were to Google it, you'd be like, oh my gosh, it's a real movie. <laughs> it's, it is a blue-collar James Bond. Like, this dude gets picked to be... Um, what's he get picked to be? He gets picked to be in this... It's almost like um, the Kingsman. He, almost, he gets picked to be in this, like, secret group of, I don't know, ninja assassins 
Um, he gets trained in all these like special skills. I think there's like a Vulcan nerve pinch type of thing going on. <laughs> he can walk on water. Like there's just crazy stuff. I don't really remember what the bad guy's plot was. It wasn't like a James Bond villain taking over the world. It was probably like just some local gangster or something. I distinctly remember someone gets stuck in concrete and bulldozed over, which was, uh, you know, unsettling oh, okay. to what was this? Uh, roughly 12 year old me. Didn't stop me from watching it a whole bunch of times. And since looking it up, have spent the entire time almost being able to remember the music of it. Oh, wow. And I wasn't even into movie music at the time. It was just like one of those like cheese ball 80s era th- scores that were just like super uplifting and riveting, lots of actiony sounds and all that kind of fun stuff. I'll tell you, I just looked it up and just looking at the cover art, I couldn't be less interested in ever watching this. <laughs> but but don't you think you kind of want to now? Isn't it? I mean, by the way, again, I'm I, this was 12-year-old me watching an action movie. So, of course, it was good. But it's right, terrible. Right. I get it. I mean, the only thing that makes me want to watch it is Wilford Brimley. That's the only thing that gets me excited about maybe watching this movie. Yeah, this was, this was and this was long before he was in The Firm, where, like, he yeah. had that kind of role. No, he, he's a good guy in this one. I just want him to yell at me about diabetes, but uh, yeah, I, I've never heard of this movie. I've never heard of most of these people, but it, it's a Dick Clark production. Looks interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Remo Williams, the adventure begins. They did make a direct to TV sequel because it was again, supposed to start a whole franchise, but it, it did not. Okay. So this, this leads in perfectly to my next one. This is a great right. lead. Well done. So this is November 19th, 1999. 99. Wow. All right. Yeah. So this is uh, the actor I'll give you is Billy Connolly. Boondock Saints? Boondock Saints. I like this game. I like this game a lot. Well, you're good at this game. I'm trash at this game. <laughs> if, if, I were, if I were picking 90s and 2000s movies, you'd, you'd be able to pull the same. Right. So Troy Duffy is the, the director and the writer. There's a very famous story about how this movie actually got picked up by Harvey Weinstein, scandal noted. Um, so this is 34th all time on the F words used in a film. I thought was going to be my little bit of trivia for you. (laughs) So I need to be very clear. I cannot tell you how much I love this movie as a 14 year old, like cannot put into words how many times I've seen this movie well into the 30, 40, 50 range, like a lot. Yeah. Uh, love Norman Reedus still to this day because of it. Bob Marley, not that Bob Marley, Bob Marley, the comedian from Maine is in this. He's hilarious. Uh, this is a genuinely great Willem Dafoe performance, and it's a bummer that it happened in this movie because the movie's really bad. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I just think you outgrow this movie. So basically, 14-year-old JT didn't know who John Woo or McTiernan or Fredkin or Tarantino was. Like, none of those people were people yet, right? Tarantino kind of was because, like, Reservoir Dogs was, like, in my wheelhouse, sort of. Right. But, like, I, I hadn't actually experienced film, which I know sounds pretentious, but I mean that like in a non-pretentious sort of way. And the fact is that this movie, it treated itself like cinema, right? It had like dark undertones and this really, it felt really serious to a 14 year old. And there's like these big plot twists, which now are not big plot twists. Like they could not be less interesting, but at the time it felt really, really serious. The, the acting is fine. The one Rocco character whose name, I always forget the actor's name, but like aggressively overplayed in a hilariously bad way. Um, there's a 40 minute stretch in this movie where there's not a female on screen. And literally, it's 44 and a half minutes, no women. And the woman that's on screen to begin it is a very stereotypical lesbian who gets punched in the face. And then the next woman is a stripper and the next three women are drug dealers. It's not great. It's not, it's not passing the Bechdel test, what you might say. Yeah, none of this holds up like in any way, shape, or form. And it did it did something for me in the sense that I respect this movie because I think it made me get into better movies unintentionally. But because of it, because of those other films that I wound up watching, I can't rewatch this now. Right. Because like even the I watched two clips of it while doing this research. And halfway through one of the clips, I was laughing out loud. At it, not with it. No, at it 100%. Like, I was reminded that the father of these two boys 
doesn't recognize his sons, but instead hears the family prayer and decides not to kill them. There's just so many little dumb things like that that this movie, I'm sure, is rife with. Not worth rewatching. Holds a special place in my heart. Like, will always think very like fondly of it. Don't feel any need to watch it. And cannot believe they made a sequel. I actually sat through it, and it was brutal to watch. Brutal. Funny, funny thing is, by the way, I actually saw this movie for the first time, I think maybe two or so years somewhere in the last two to three years because it was one of those, like it came and went and I never saw it and never really, you know, I knew it was a movie that people had a lot of uh, feels for. And then finally I came and watched it. And and all I could think the whole time was like, I could see why this was big when it was big, but now I would, now it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to watch. And it also, it was so critically, it was smashed and it did really poorly. And part of it is because it came out on the heels of Columbine. Oh, this movie got buried publicly. Right. Like it was like, do not watch it pull from theaters, which is part of the reason as a 14 year old, it got a cult classic feeling right. because it was like, they can't show this movie. I'm going to watch this a hundred times. And that's what I think a lot of kids my age did. It's like stamping the explicit lyrics on a, on a, on a CD. Yep. Just wanted that much more. So Blue Dog Saints. my final entry might be the polar opposite movie to the Blue Dog Saints. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. You may or may not have heard of this. We'll, we'll, I'm going to go on a limb and say it's possible this time. August 8th, 1980. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this a little bit. Especially because I actually have seen this in the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And it, it couldn't lose its place in my heart. That doesn't okay. make it good. But like its badness did not overwhelm my nostalgic feelings for it. Okay. I had a score of 35. Gene Kelly's final film. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, this probably isn't going to happen. Keep going. Don Bluth's animation is featured in the movie. Don Bluth was the guy behind Dragon's Lair and Space Ace and those video games. He had a specific style of animation. Yeah, yeah. Him I know. Uh, okay, animation, Gene Kelly. Keep going. Uh, the movie... <laughs> There's so much fun with this. The movie actually, I didn't know this until today. The movie co-inspired the Razzie Awards. <laughs> and the director of it won for, uh, I guess, worst director of 1980. Uh, I still got nothing, but it's fun. Nothing. Of course not. Uh, the lead is Olivia Newton-John. Oh, God. And she did okay. this movie instead of doing the Blues Brothers and basically wrecked her career as a result. Yeah, so I have, I don't know the name of it. I've only heard this movie in reference to Olivia Newton-John not doing Blues Brothers. So the, uh, the, the quote from a reviewer, you were asking why I was laughing earlier. The quote from a re- reviewer was, in a word, Xana don't. Xana <laughs> do? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so the summary is a struggling artist, I believe in LA or Santa Monica. I, I don't know LA well enough, somewhere in the LA region. Praise for some kind of muse, inspiration, something like that. In, I don't know, outer space or something, in some parallel universe, uh, the, the gods exist, I guess. And the muses themselves are sent to Earth on roller skates uh, with neon trails, by the way, like these neon animated trail as they roller skated along. Sure. At um at very high speeds, let me add. Right. Like Yuzana do. Right. Like so fast that if they roller skate by you, like a little wind effect would happen and your hair would like <laughs> <laughs> your cape would furl. And uh so Olivia Newton John is one of the muses and she meets this dude who was, by the way, originally gonna be John Travolta reprising the Grease dynamic, uh, but he was doing another movie. He was doing Urban Cowboy instead. Good for him, although he then managed to wreck his career his own way. <laughs> By the way, I think I'm at like the first six minutes of the plot. So this news is she's like roller skating around. There's lots of animated sequences. They sing, they dance. Gene Kelly is like they were like the aging Hollywood star, sort of playing himself. Um, she has a dance with him, which is actually phenomenal. Well, let me rephrase. Might be phenomenal. I don't know. I was seven. I love this movie. 
they fall in love or something and then that's not okay because the muses aren't supposed to be in love with mortal men and so she gets whisked home but he somehow finds the entrance to i guess digital mount olympus again there's a lot of neon involved so it's not typical view of mount olympus it's a it's a you know it's a very jazzercised mount olympus and anyhow, he sort of bangs down the door or something and, you know, wins her back forever. Can I get a, a quick take age gap on Gene Kelly and Olivia Newton-John at the time? <laughs> oh, no, they didn't. Like, that was that was like he was the mentor. Like, it was not, there was not, sorry, yeah. No, Gene Kelly was the aging Hollywood. Got it. He was just walking around the thing and sang and danced and had a good old time. So, but yeah, they were probably like 50 years apart. <laughs> I, you know, I really liked Xanadu. I really still like the music from Xanadu, which I will say absolutely holds up. I don't mean the score here, the songs. It's uh, ELO, a lot of good 70s kind of okay. music. But it's it's really bad. Like, it's, it's as a movie, it's, it's just not a movie. It's like a, a bunch of sequences mashed up together with a loose plot thread of some kind. I got to tell you, it sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to make my kids watch it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> they are absolutely watching them some Xanadu. And one of those, like, no multitasking. You can't leave. We are watching. I'll, I'll make as much popcorn as it takes. But this family will watch Xanadu. In fact, maybe this very weekend. There you go. Maybe Perfect. now. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I've definitely never seen that and probably won't. But maybe. Probably not. Yeah. But I loved it so much. So much. Look, that's how I feel about Willow. Like, I mean, different, but like, same deal. Like, I, I love that movie. I have so much nostalgia and love for it, but I just know what it is. So this is my last one. And I, I'm going to preface this. This is a, like, heat check right now. I'm, I'm going to bring an unpopular opinion, but I, I want to preface with, I am acknowledging that this is a brilliant movie. I love this movie. It's great. But the argument was you shouldn't rewatch. And so I'm going to stand behind no matter how brilliant this is. It is not rewatchable. Fair enough. June 5th, 1998. The actor I will give you is... Hold. I'm going to say I have a guess right now, but I'm not going to say it until I hear the next bit. But but I will be honest whether or not I was right. Okay. Noah Emmerich is the supporting cast. Do you want somebody else? I'll take one more. Ed Harris. Uh, it's not a. It's not Apollo thirteen. No, it's not. Ed Harris, and it's we're after the Rock, so I know it's not that. Is it Truman Show? It's Truman Show. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this is a great movie. Again. Cannot state how good of a movie this is. Uh, loved it. This is Jim Carrey and all of his carriedom and like really acting. He was so brilliant in this movie. The last, like his performance in the last like five minutes of this, even though there's a bunch of really weird issues with the last five minutes, like the, that last scene, there's a bunch of really bad things in that scene, but his acting is great. We love Ed Harris. Sure. It's a super interesting plot. One that I think would probably do better now than it did then even. Uh, It's incredibly well acted across the board. Why it's on this list. I don't want to say that there are plot holes, but when you truly, if you walk into the the movie, and I would borderline film this, when you walk into the film knowing what it's about and you start watching it with the understanding of how much was controllable versus non-controllable, it just doesn't hold up. Fair enough. There's just a bunch of stuff that happens where you go, so you're telling me that this kid is basically was born and you raised in a bubble that you built that's the size of Chicago and you don't have a kill switch on his car? Like there's just a lot of moments like that that just right. don't make any sense. Right. There's two big ones. One is just more of like sort of my personal opinion is like how did he not become more unhinged? Like he should be more unhinged than he was. He was like going a little crazy, but like the original script that I came to find out that like the original script had him going nuts. And they were like, too dark. (laughs) Like, it got way too dark. However, the one unforgivable thing, and I even remember the first time I've seen it, and to be clear, I've seen this a lot more than once. I've probably seen this four, five, six, seven times, something like that. 
Okay. The wedding photo scene when she has her fingers crossed. Get out of here. I need more context. Give me give me a bit more. So one of the big moments in the in the movie is Jim Carrey looks at his uh, at, a, at a, the wedding photo and his wife has her hand behind her back and has her fingers crossed. Visible in the photo? Visibly in the photo. It's 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 an aha moment for the character. Ah. And that is just in the moment, in the first you time you watch it, it's like, okay, like you need to like you need to alert the audience to the fact that he's really waking up and there needs to be something crystal clear. But like you had a you had a microphone fall from the sky. We're good. We're crystal clear. It's a little hinky. It's a little hinky. That is hinky. That is very hinky. That's on the hinky scale in a big way. So while I think this movie is incredibly watchable, and I would encourage anybody to watch it, and it's probably worth rewatching at least once, like every rewatch thereafter you see it is going to get worse. I hear you. Because you're just going to see new things that come to light where you go, nope, doesn't track. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I did see this movie. I've only seen it once, and... The uh, the ending actually was what it left me with a that was an okay movie. A lot of people were like that was a great movie, and I agree with you. Those last five ten minutes were just enough for me to be like, mm, I think this could have been a little tighter. I think this this I don't I didn't love how it just sort of dropped out of nowhere. It, I, I felt like it just sort of ends. It very much does. And listen again, ninety eight. Like I'm thirteen, so when this movie right. came out, it was like, whoa, they made a world. But like even then at the time, the last five minutes of this, again, it's just like, and there's a bunch of weird stuff that happens. Like he's in a rainstorm, but he's not wet. And then all of a sudden, like his shadows on one side, there's a bunch of like inconsistency stuff. All of that aside, it's a very good movie. I think it's worth watching, but it's just the story itself doesn't lend itself to being rewatched. You, it's kind of like Memento. You need to watch it that one time and you can, Memento, by the way, rewatchable. Sure. It doesn't pack the same punch, right? Right. Like Fight Club. It's rewatchable because of how well it's done, but there's no like that surprise is what really hooks you. And in this one, as all these little things come together, it only really makes sense when you are blind to it. Once you become aware, it's not as much fun. By the way, I will say I think Fight Club of all of the movies where there's a big reveal, Fight Club is one of my top rewatchables from that. Like if, if you like if you think about the Sixth Sense and some others, where once you've seen it, it's like okay, I get it. I find Fight yeah. Club is fully rewatchable just because it's such a well done, like the twist isn't the whole movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's actually, that's a perfect segue into our contender pong because the sixth sense I have on the list. And one of the threads for my contender pong was, and I tried to keep some of them off. A lot of it is big suspense, like turnaround, holy cow moments that then once you know it's happening, if you watch it again, you're like, meh. All right. So let's do Contender Pong. So Contender Pong is things that were on your list that could have made your list but didn't quite make it. And we'll just yep. go one for one. I actually, just so just so you know how I'm going to do my list, I have, I have them categorized. So okay. the first five will be movies I saw that may or may not be good. I only saw them once, had a really good time seeing them, but just kind of knew not to see them again. Then there's the what you just did with Truman Show, movies that I think the, the, the more you know about the plot, the harder they are to rewatch. And then the last one's purely nostalgic movies. I do have fondness for, but not really sure if they hold up. And some of these are very contentious. So I'm going to try to do the same categories as you. Okay. You have more movies than I do for sure. So which which one do you want to start with? All right. First is the, you saw it, maybe had a good time, maybe not, but it's like, I, you know, leave that in its place wherever it was in your mind. Okay. Go ahead. The replacements. It's been nice doing a podcast with you. <laughs> We've talked about it before, but that's where it is for me. I saw it once. I laughed my butt off, and I was like, "But I know it can't be as good as my memory of it being." So I don't need to see it again. Yeah, no, you shouldn't watch it again. You're right. Okay, uh, okay I have one for this one. So let's. I'll do Wild Wild West. Oh yeah, um, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> King Arthur, Legend of the Something. It was just a couple of years ago with. Um, oh, Charlie Hunnam. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really fun. Uh, I think I was on an airplane. I don't think it's good, but it was a lot of fun. It was better, far better than I thought it would be. It's that his Last Kingdom or something. I forget what it's called. I don't have that, but I actually that's that's a great one. I think I don't have any more of 
these particular oh the mask jim carrey yeah Yeah. Uh, i got two more one is uh actually batman v superman dawn of justice i happened to see it with a few friends in an environment that was super good and the whole time knowing it was not a good movie but because the environment was so much fun we had a blast but I know deep down in every way that that movie is awful with the lone exception of Gal Gadot and the Wonder Woman theme, which then bred the Wonder Woman movie, which was great. Yep. Or good enough. And uh, the A-Team, which we talked about a few weeks ago, um, I thought was fun to watch. But especially after we talked about it, I was like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't watch that again because it was fun to watch. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. And what's so your next list is movies that... Don't, don't really hold up on this. Like, sort of hold up. Like... Like Fight Club would be in this category if it weren't such a great movie. Okay. So I'll start it off by saying actually The Sixth Sense, which I would say actually is worth a second watch because it is fun to watch it once you know everything that happens, but otherwise doesn't really, it doesn't need to be seen. Okay. Uh, I have Shutter Island. I would put in that category. Titanic. You didn't know the boat was going to sink? Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> um, I'll say the prestige is in this category for me. Ooh, I'd argue with that. I, I, th- I think it's uh, it's actually one of my favorite Nolan movies. But we'll uh, we'll have to come back to that one. Okay. Uh, Moana, a fun a fun Pixar movie with a great soundtrack. But the moment you watch it and you realize like there's absolutely no reason for any of the quests to happen at all, zero. It's sort of like. Eh. Okay. I'll just listen to Dwayne sing to me some more. That's fair. I call him Dwayne. Uh, yeah, well, you guys go way back. My daughter would fight you vehemently on that, but she's also three, so it wouldn't be a super strong argument. Or fight. I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna say the Hateful Eight is in this category for me for sure. Haven't seen it yet, believe it or not. Watch it once. Why. Yeah, I'll watch it once. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gone Girl. Oh, Gone Girl is a really good one for this category. I didn't have that. I don't think I have any more for this particular category, but yeah, Gone Girl is a good one. I have The Game with uh, Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, again, I have actually seen it more than once. And it's one of those, like you said, like each time you watch it through, you're like, well, wait a sec. What if these four things that happened here? Like, what if there was a gust of wind? What if, the, what if this? What if that? And so it makes it harder to enjoy. Um, I still would categorize it as a great movie, but sort of just the ones. Fair enough. And my last one is uh, Skyfall, the, the James Bond movie from a couple of years back. The villain's plot makes absolutely no sense and requires something like a hundred coincidences. I could go five minutes on that villain's plot right now, but I'm not going to. But Skyfall, enjoy it once. Don't overthink it because the moment you do, it just falls apart entirely. Fair enough. I think the one more that I maybe would add to this particular list is Blair Witch Project. Just because it was, it was, I remember like the one time you see it, you're like, oh, it's a thing, but then it's over and you should never see it again. Scary sticks. Basically, yeah. Uh, nostalgia category. So these are movies we have affinity for, but probably not. Yep. All right. I'm going to start with Batman Forever. Good one. Uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Ooh. I, that's, I don't know if I would put that on the list, but the more I think about it, probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Also, by the way, not only just doesn't hold up in, in today in culture, and like doesn't hold up in any way, but way back when was a fond memory. Yeah, uh, Wayne's World. Ooh, we'll have to talk about that. Uh, okay. Um, only because I made my family watch it while I wasn't present and they told me it was awful. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Apparently just not really a comedy, really slow, etc. Yeah, that probably is true. This one is contentious for you, but I'm putting it on here. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> no, no, you're just wrong on that one. It's okay, though. I understand why you are, but it's... It, it's so good. So good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's not. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. But it's so good. Um, I'm going to put in Meatballs, the 1970s camp movie, because you might think of it as a, as a comedy with Bill Murray. And it's really a pretty heavy drama with occasional funny moments by Bill Murray. Fair. So I have, this is my last one, and there's a whole group of people in my life who, if they hear this, are going to be real mad at me, but I'm not sorry because it's the right thing to do. Never-ending story. I'm just going to move on. Uh, I don't know what to think about that. I need, we should have given ourselves more time for this bit because <laughs> they all, they make you think, right? Like, 
Neverending Story is is an absolute childhood treasure. I can't ever watch that sad horse scene ever again, ever. Right. One of the most scarring scenes of my childhood, but it's in such a fond place. I don't know. All right. Well, let me, should I rattle off my list or you want a reaction time? Cause you're going to know a lot of these, but not all. Uh, I can react quick, but go ahead. Rattle. All right. So again, I don't know. This isn't definitive. These are just movies that kind of, as I was thinking about it, made my cut face off with John Travolta and Nick Cage. Probably there's no one up. I agree with that. 300. Disagree. The Secret of Nim. Again, an 80s Don Bluth animated classic. Yeah, don't care. (laughs) Uh, Stripes with Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. I love this movie, but the last, the third act is basically a a mediocre action movie. Yeah, that's fair, but I think the first two acts might be so strong that I disagree with you. I don't know. I'll rewatch it over and over again because I don't mind, but I don't know how much other people would would enjoy. That's sort of how it made my cut. Uh, another one I put in here, Breakfast Club, apparently just does not hold up. I haven't watched it in a while, but it's so slow compared to modern teen angst movies. Yeah, I'm sure nostalgia is driving this, but I absolutely disagree with that. All right. Uh, one I've brought up to you before, um, again, special place in the heart, Young Sherlock Holmes. I The more I look into it, the more it's like, yeah, that was not a good movie. So probably wasn't a good movie. No, I've seen that uh, a bunch and it's not, but that's okay. <laughs> right. Uh, one from the 90s that, again, the timing on this is college for me. So it was one of those 90s movies you saw a few times, uh, but I don't know if it would be good today is Singles. Oh, man. I love that movie, but it's probably really bad. Right? Probably bad, yeah. but I love it too. A great soundtrack. It's a Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one's probably going to, again, I haven't seen it since I think it was in theaters. Uh, Labyrinth. With David Bowie. Yeah, I think Labyrinth is in the same, for me, that's in the same never-ending story bucket, which is like, leave it where it lies. Yeah. The one that I know a few friends of mine are going to be annoyed that I'm going to say it, but I have a hunch it, again, won't make me laugh the way I wanted it to. One Crazy Summer with uh, John Cusack and Bob Goldthwait. Oh, God. Yeah. I have not, yeah, I haven't seen that forever. It's sort of the pair to Better Off Dead, but Better Off Dead is so much better of the two. But, you know, as a younger sibling, it's, it's still pretty good, I think. Yeah. Probably not. Uh, Dreamscape. Have you ever heard of that one? Dennis Quaid. No. Mid-80s, weird sci-fi, sort of like a pre-inception kind of movie. Interesting. It's like takes place in dreams and stuff. Uh, Romancing the Stone, I would assume, does not hold up. I assume that doesn't. And then just from the conversation we had, I added two while we were talking. Uh, Jumping Jack Flash, I would assume, does not hold up. And yeah. I would assume also Demolition Man is probably pretty weak these days. And you know what just came to my head while we were talking? I bet doesn't hold up is Weird Science. Ooh, probably not. What you got going on there, Chet? Yeah, I love Weird Science. That scene with Anthony Michael Hall in the blues bar would never get made today. No. But it was a classic scene. (laughs) Well, that was a good addition of Contenders Pong. I I think there's more to be talked about here for another time. Yeah, there definitely is. We could probably do a follow-up podcast on this one alone to just go through these because I want you to defend Mortal Kombat to the death. Flawless victory ahead. <laughs> that was a horrible bump and set for that joke. Uh, we should just end the cast right here. That was the best way I'm ever going to retort to a thing ever. <laughs> uh, okay, so what was your favorite thing on Wingman this week, Jared? Well, I deliberately chose something to tie into the podcast because we know how much we like things to tie together. And that would be a young Alex Winter and a young Keanu Reeves auditioning for Bill and Ted. Yeah, it's really good. I thought it was fun to watch. Like, I just, it just made me smile. Like, you know, Keanu Reeves sort of hasn't aged in a way, but when you see it, you can actually see, of course he has. So I kind of enjoyed that. Um, And it just, it was just fun watching them. Like, you could see them having fun doing it. Yeah, yeah, I, I really did like that one. Uh, the one that I'm going to pick, though, I think this is the first time I'm doing this, but I'm going to do our Sentimental Sunday where we did Daft Hands. But more specifically, the that Daft Punk app is hours of annoying your friends and family, and it is so much fun, and I love it. Yeah, I got more uh, texts or emails about that than I think any link we've put in before. Maybe, yeah. maybe bar, other than maybe like the Lego Nintendo thingy. Yeah, or maybe and Princess Pride I got a lot for too. But the Daft Punk app, first of all, the hands, I hadn't seen those in a long time, so it made me laugh when we found it. And the app is so annoying. I love it. I absolutely love it. 
All right, so JT, we're we're adding yet another new thing here based on some listener feedback. Uh, you wanna you wanna give us a little little bit of a teaser? You wanna give us a little hint? What's what, what's coming up? So leaning into teasing things uh, back from the radio days, uh, we were we had a conversation with some some listeners, and we're told that it would be cool that they liked knowing what we were doing. So the one thing that was nice about the five part series is people were actually doing a little bit of research on their own so they could play along. So we're going to give you what our next weeks will be. So next week, our top five is going to be movies. We wish they never made. Love it. And this, uh, this is sort of a bit of a two, they're not officially two parters, but they, they're sort of, you know, sides of a coin. Um, but we promise you this much after next week, we're going to head right back toward positivity. So these are lists of negativity, but we're having fun with them. So hopefully we're not sending such a negative vibe. I, I hope that's not coming off because Wingman, we're not here to, to, to bring you down. We're here to, to bring you up. That's true. And I think that, you know, we, we took a positive vibe on these movies. I mean, look, I think we were very good about most of these. It's not that they're bad. Some of them are bad. Some of them are really good. You just shouldn't rewatch them. Next week is going to be movies that they, they shouldn't have made. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, JT. Well, look, my only advice to you this week is just as much as you can, just Xana don't. <laughs> well, Jeremy, it's a pleasure as always, and thanks for letting us be your wingman, everybody.